You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through, he takes it again! Down goes Fraser! Down goes Fraser! He hits one, oh, what a goal! It's Lillard, he got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to Sports Hub this week on Fresh Air with me, Peter Johnson. Joined as usual by Alfie Steiner. We found ourselves in the midst of an international break. Scotland and England both have been in action. Uh, so we'll have a little bit of a chat about those games. Uh, a couple of Premier League fixtures back next week uh, as well. So we'll have a chat about those. We've also had the F1 season make a return this weekend and we had Vetkin v White in boxing. So we've got a couple of little extra features to talk about this week as well. Uh, so I'll just start with the F1, given there's nobody else here for me to talk about it with, uh, much to Alfie's relief. So I'll just uh, give a brief summary of what happened on that, just to kick off the show. Uh, so it's the first race of the season in Bahrain. Uh, we got what all the neutrals wanted. We got Stafford and Hamilton lined up on the front row, uh, Red Bull against Mercedes. I think that'll be the story of this season. Um, we had a few rookies, three rookies in the field making the debut. Uh, Nikita Mazepin didn't make it past the end of the first lap, so nobody's great surprise. Uh, Sergio Perez, in his first race for Red Bull, uh, had a mechanical failure on the opening lap, forced his way back to fourth, which was a, a very valiant effort. Um, Verstappen Hamilton up front, Verstappen led to the first round of pit stops, and Hamilton got ahead on strategy and remained ahead to the end, although not through like a triumph for Verstappen. He overtook him once and then let him back past again because the overtake was done off the track. Uh, so it's an early seven-point lead in the championship for Hamilton, an early constructors' championship lead for Mercedes, and we've got 22 more rounds of hopefully the same to come. Uh, now, something that we can both talk about, uh, although we might not want to particularly, because it's not been the most interesting week, is the international break. Uh, so quickly, of all, first of all, I think it's probably right that we start with Scotland results, even though uh, they weren't the most thrilling of games. Uh, they drew two all at home with Austria, and... Um, perhaps the game most notable for John McGinn's stunning overhead kick, and then drew away against Israel in a repeat of the two-legged tie that Scotland had to win in the Nations League playoffs last year, which they obviously won because they're in the Euros this summer. Um, so not much to say about those, although it's only right that we comment on them, uh, other than maybe we can just marvel at that John McGinn goal. Yeah, it, it was... Uh, I mean, I can't say I watched the full... The full no. nice <laughs> times, but I have watched... All the highlights for all the international games, quite a nice little thing to do. Or the bare minimum I could do, I think, during the international break where I'm not watching any football. So when they pop up on YouTube, always interested to see sort of how Kieran Tierney's doing as an Arsenal fan. So I think he's played all the minutes, which is great to see. Uh, He'll be back nice and fresh, not um, for Arsenal's game. But yeah, McGinn's overhead kick in the 2-2 draw um, was excellent you have to say, to, to get the point as well. And I think they came from behind against, who was who was the yeah. team? Yeah, Israel. They came from 1-0 behind as well, didn't they? So they don't seem to win many games, Scotland, but at least they seem to not be losing them. Having said that, I am slightly sort of taken aback. I've always considered Scotland as sort of, you know, not the greatest nation in terms of football. And when I look at their some of their players, they've actually got a great selection of late. Um, you know, especially some players playing in the Premier League. You've obviously got Andrew Robertson, probably the the best among them, and then Kieran Tierney. You've got um, Che Adams up top. You've got John McGinn, who's having a great season at Aston Villa. You've got Scott McTominay. Mm. Um, I'm definitely forgetting a couple of others. Ryan Fraser obviously hasn't hasn't had the best season at Newcastle, but they've definitely got some 
some sort of standout, well-seasoned Premier League players. Um, so, so they should be, you know, holding their own against Israel and and teams like that. I think. Yeah, I don't think they got the most difficult group overall. I don't think they've qualified for a World Cup. Certainly not in my lifetime. I think it was 1998 last time. Uh, but with the players, you would expect them perhaps if they were to have a chance to, they need to beat the likes of Israel, perhaps. But there's still what eight games to go. So we'll see what happens there. Um, as for England, I mean, it was pretty predictable, really. Six points from six. Uh, I mean, what can you say, really? 206 places between England and San Marino. It's like pretty much the biggest golfing clash you could possibly have in a professional game of football. Um, five goals, actually, was probably quite underwhelming, to be honest. But when you bear in mind, we've, we've got... I didn't even realise till the other day that we've got Andorra in our group as well. So I don't think goal difference is really going to be much of an issue, to be honest. Yeah, I that, that was the one game I did... Well, I mean, didn't watch sort of really meticulously, but I had it on and, and sort of lasted the whole 90 minutes. I mean, it, it definitely could have been double. Uh, it could have been 10-0 easily. And I did find, as enjoyable as it was to see, you know, Ollie Watkins getting his, his first international goal and his first international call-up, Calvert-Lewin getting a couple of goals, James Ward-Prowse, you know, the sort of the new crop of players called up by Southgate. I did just feel a bit sorry for San Marino. And I thought to myself, like, why is it that we always play San Marino and, you know, given the sort of high stakes and the, the relentlessness of the, of the schedule this, this year, you sort of think games like these, obviously the players are probably not going to be like working as hard, but you never know what could happen injury wise. And it just seems a game of such little consequence or the stakes aren't high enough, but I guess it was a qualifier. So mm. wait, was it a qualifier or was it a friendly? Yeah, it was a qualifier, yeah. Qualifier. It's yeah. so confusing at the moment because we've got, some we've got what do we have we've got world cup qualifiers for 2022 then we've got international friendlies ahead of the euros some teams are playing teams outside of um of europe we've got african cup of nations qualifiers going on the under 21s are playing their group stages of the euros now obviously everything's a year, a year delayed as well so it's just as much as we haven't been keeping up with the football, there's been so much going on um, and just so many different competitions and, and it's all just a bit confusing, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, on the subject of that, um, you're under 21 yards. I think England have lost, haven't they, against Switzerland and Portugal, so they're as good as out already. Um, although having looked at that squad, it does seem slightly underwhelming squad, really, um, given the players I thought we had. And you see some of the players in that squad. It's a, it doesn't look like the most exciting of under 21s teams, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, you say that, but I, a lot of people have sort of been, or the reaction that I've sort of seen over Twitter and talking to my friends and, and seeing a few of the players on the team sheet, like you'd sort of expect them to do a bit better. Um, I do think there are some really good individuals in there for under 21 level. Of course, you know, maybe Portugal have a very good squad um, and some some players who play, you know, at a high level, but we're forgetting that, you know, the stars of the under 21s, team uh, the likes of Callum Hudson Adoy who's definitely sort of beyond that level I think now I mean Emil Smith Rose had a good season you've got sort of uh, experienced Premier League players in in the defense and yeah I just think there are there's experience and sort of exciting sort of trusted young talent in that team and I do think you know coaching wise and sort of not getting enough out of those players is a bit of a shame because I definitely think there's they're more than capable of sort of you know, getting out of their group at least, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen, which is a shame. No, I've not been following much of that Solomon, so I can't really speak for the rest of the teams, but it certainly looks mm-hmm. to have been quite underwhelming for England. Um, if we just return to the, um, the, the, the the first team now, 
um, because we do have, well, a couple more games. We obviously have the game against Albania that was, uh, I should say at this point as well, I wanted to give a little shout out for the uh, San Marino goalkeeper applying his trade as a reserve goalkeeper in Serie C. And I thought maybe he could be a replacement for Runison at Arsenal, but you never know. He, he, had a he, made, he was making some great saves, I must say. <laughs> he didn't give Lingard much of a chance, did he, to be fair? He didn't get the perfect return to the Lingard could have backed a few. But... Yeah, he definitely looked like he was enjoying himself, though. He was yeah, really he back at, <laughs> in the number seven shirt. I bet he was he massively <laughs> enjoying himself. Handling is in a Beckham against San Marino. <laughs> uh, but then, obviously, we played Albania at the weekend. That was... Uh, Slightly tougher game, um, obviously still reasonably comfortable at the end. In the end, goals either side of half time. I think the thing, well, notable for two things. I think it was Kane's first England goal in 500 days, exactly, um, ending a run of 496 minutes without goal for the national team. So obviously, it's good to see him back on the score sheet, even if it wasn't perhaps the most difficult of fixtures. Um, and then also that we lined up with two defensive midfielders, um, with Rice and Phillips which suggests that it's kind of Southgate's preferred formation, looking forward to the Euros. Um, and it's just, I just, I just find it a little bit depressing that he's not even willing to try and be a little bit more adventurous, even against a team kind of like the quality of Albania. But I don't mm. think England are the... I, I did feel when he first came into the job, I mean, obviously he celebrated his 50th game in charge, didn't he? I think when he first came in, I actually enjoyed watching England for a little while. And then obviously we had the 2018 World Cup. Um, and we had the nation. I think it's since we qualified for those Nations League finals, and it all was a bit of a damn squib. I just think he's it's just kind of gone a bit flat, really. And I think playing two defensive midfielders against Albania with a view to doing that in the Euros as well just kind of epitomizes it, really. Yeah, I I mean to be fair, you know, you've, so you've got you can separate it into two games. I think even though they're sort of part of the same qualifying campaign. Um, San Marino, he sort of, as I said, played the the, the likes of Molly Watkins, gave him a few minutes, started Calvert-Lewin up top, gave minutes to players who, you know, will be in and around the squad, but probably not the first, you know, the first names on the team sheet. And then the Albania game definitely sort of looked like a, a sort of, this is right now, obviously injuries aside, my strongest 11, which I'll, I'll start, you know, the likes of Carl Walker coming back in. I thought it was good to see Luke Shaw start in that game yeah. as well. And, um, I think no one could argue that he's sort of the favourite and, and and deserves maybe to start uh, ahead of Chilwell because I think his crossing um, yeah, and to sort of link the play and, and with Kane in there as well, I think that could be a really useful useful uh, asset. But I do think, yeah. So one of my friends said to me as well when the when the lineup came out, it was disappointing to see. I mean, Calvin Phillips, I think, was one of only a couple of players who started both the games, which was slightly strange. But I do think Gareth Southgate just loves. Calvin Phillips. Um, I think he's sort of a quite a surprising constant in his squad selections. I do think maybe it's to do with Jordan Henderson being out and maybe he would have given a few minutes to the likes of, you know, Grealish and, and Madison, for example. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think who's on the, who are the sort of other options midfield-wise. I mean, you've got um, like the Hudson and Doyle, I suppose, haven't you? He's a, with the 21s. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I just think, like, you know, you've got Jude Bellingham, for example, who did have, I think, a half against San Marino. Um, and I think I think both Mason... I didn't watch the Albania game, but I think both Mason Mount and Phil Foden started against Albania. So, you know, one of them was the third midfielder and then Foden, I think, started further up. So, well, I didn't have too much of a problem with it, but I, do, I can see 
sort of why maybe Southgate did it just because, you know, he's without a couple of sort of uh, his midfield, preferred midfield options. And maybe he's sort of thinking, well, you know, if Henderson's not available for, it looks maybe unlikely that he'll be fit, for example, then I've got to work on sort of something for, for the potentially big games. Um, because I think England's pathway, if they, they finish top, if they top the group or something, I can't remember which way around it is, but I think then you, you sort of play the second place team from the group, the group of death, which is yeah. Germany and, and Spain, I think it is. France, I think. Portugal, Germany, France. It's like the last yeah, it's just ridiculous. And, and in that sense, then I think, well, it's slightly more understandable that you might want to play two more, two sort of defensive players. But yeah, I guess against a team like Albania, you sort of maybe want to see a bit more sort of excitement. But I guess the job was done. Um, and I'm sure you were happy to see um, Luke Shaw sort of contributing well as a United oh. I mean, absolutely, yeah. I mean, for me, I don't think there's any question that he should be starting ahead of Chilwell, personally. I mean, that's just a no-brainer, to be quite honest. Um, so I'm glad he's got minutes in his legs. I think that might be part of the reason maybe that Calvin Phillips started both games as well. I mean, regardless of Southgate's affinity for him, he's not the most experienced international player and it was quite a low-risk game to get like minutes in his legs playing mm. uh, internationally. So I suppose that's one reason, potentially. Now, we did talk about injuries um, and... It must be, you know, I think we do need to take into account the fact that our injury problems at international level kind of pale in significance when it came out today that Robert Lewandowski won't be fit for the game against England on Wednesday, I believe, mm. um, which is the one remaining game that England have got in this international um, break. And it is, it's not a game that we've taken lightly, it has to be said, because obviously in the likes of who we've got, Andorra, San Marino, um, other teams of that quality, Albania, there's not really any teams that are likely to take points off England and Poland in terms of the who gets the automatic place in the mm. World Cup. Um, so, as I say, it's not a game that can be taken lightly. Um, Lewandowski's out injured. Um, but how do you see that going? Um, I mean, I expect... I can't. I probably will watch the the Poland game. To be fair, because I think again it, the the lineup will probably be slightly similar to the Albania game, perhaps with you know he's sort of seen both sorts of sides that he maybe wanted to try out in this international break, and sort of the last the last game will sort of be the culmination of of both sort of coming together, and I I expect England to win the game, especially without Lewandowski, but I wouldn't you know, bat an eyelid if I saw that, that England sort of drew the game or, you know, Poland was stubborn to break down and England were just lacking in sort of cohesion or something like that. But then, you know, you, that's also why you say that maybe, and I know pe some people don't like it, but someone like Mason Mount, who I think everyone is always a bit slightly underwhelmed with because maybe he's not got the same, doesn't have the same aura about him as like Jack Grealish or, or Madison or even, you know, Foden, for example. And I think... He, I think he created, apart from Xavi, I think he set the record, um, you know, five, 10 years, probably 10 years ago now of, of chances created. I think Mason Mount did the same against San Marino, obviously as the opponent. And I think he was instrumental in the Albania game. So I think that will, that also shows that Mason Mount's sort of going to be a, an important piece of, of Southgate's team. Um, but yeah, I guess, what do I expect? I mean... It will be interesting to see. I think he's already said that Nick Pope is going to start the game as well, which I, I think is well. quite interesting because we've talked about uh, Jordan Pickford on here before, um, England-wise. So I guess 
more than anything, I'll be more interested to see who starts the game and sort of maybe what that might represent moving forwards. I mean, whether he rests, you know, a couple of players because, you know, they, they need a rest or, or whether he just goes all guns blazing to sort of establish a more more set starting eleven. Um yeah, I mean, I should hope they win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not... Uh, it's one that's maybe slightly difficult to talk about because, you know, we've no idea what the squad's going to be, first of all. And secondly, it is a, it's another international at the end of the day and we're all just desperate for the Premier League to come back. Um, but, I mean, you did mention Nick Pope there. I think we will just just give a quick mention to him. I mean, he's kept he's got six single caps so far, uh, yet to concede a goal in any of them. I mean, obviously, you've got to bear in mind the opposition... Uh, but statistically, he has done the best he could possibly do with that in mind to like stake his claim as number one. And I mean, we said a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, that you know playing for Burnley is maybe not the best club for him to be playing for in terms of he's not getting kind of the European experience, for example, that Dean Henderson's getting. Um, but he's he's not done anything wrong, has he? To be fair, and he's he looks like he's in line to be number one for the Euros, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, and I am slightly surprised maybe that he hasn't given. You know, Henderson at least maybe one game or a half of a game, something like that. I think maybe this is him clearly sort of bedding in Nick Pope. And I think, you know, Jordan Pickford will definitely be recalled um, after he recovers from his injury. I don't think he'll be left out entirely. So then it's a, probably just a case of Henderson being third keeper or like backup. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Nick Pope starts because clearly sort of if you're playing him in all three games, you're sort of, you know... Uh, trying to get as much time into his legs as possible and experience. Like you say, he hasn't had that much experience at an international level. You don't want to just chuck him in straight away um, when when the Euros comes around. So I think, I mean, who do you think? Do you think Nick Pope will, will start over over Pickford come come June? I I, just, I think on, on current form, or not even on current form, I think on form over the last you know two, three, four seasons, I think Nick Pope mm-hmm. got to start for me. Um, I mean, Henderson's not been entirely convincing on these appearances for United this season. I mean, he's kept a few clean sheets, but again, it's kind of a question of the opposition playing in the Europa League. Mm. Uh, but I think, you know, Pope's been a consistently good performer and, you know, his goals conceded and that sort of thing aren't necessarily the most accurate metric, representative metric playing for Burnley. But, he's, you know, his number of clean... I think it was last season, he was second in terms of clean sheets, something behind Man City. Oh, yeah, he's always there. So he's always there and thereabouts, regardless of kind of the, the, the rest of the team around him. Um, so I think he's done more than enough to prove himself personally. Um, yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, I, I'd probably agree that he should start. I mean, maybe let's might as well do it now that we've done one position. Starting eleven, if you had to decide right now, <laughs> um, if you're Gareth Southgate, injuries sort of out of the question. Are we doing the same formation, or are we? Or just yeah, I mean, what what you your prediction? I suppose. All right, I think it's going to be back three. I would imagine. We know he likes his back three in the major tournament. So I'd maybe say Walker, Stones and Maguire is a back three. And then you're looking at, I don't know, Shaw and Trent or Wan-Bissaka as someone that wouldn't back. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that both of those guys weren't called up to the squad. And some people have said that that doesn't, you know, you don't rule them out. But it is a bit strange that if there was even a slight possibility that they play come you know, June, then surely you take them to, to this to this set of fixtures. It, it does sound like, and even if Alexander-Arnold hasn't been in great form with Liverpool, and I think his England performances have been scrutinised as well, 
I think it is slightly telling that if you leave him out of the squad, you're just not really interested. So I'm 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 interested to see what happens with that because I think a lot of people are slightly surprised that Alexander Arnold didn't get called up. Um, I mean, we've still got a couple of international breaks between now and the Euros, as you say. Got all the like the warm up fixtures, so there's still time for him to. Uh, and I mean, the squad that we've got now is obviously not going to be player for player the exact squad we have for the Euros. So I mean, there's some scope for changing it. Yeah, um, I just think on reputation. I mean, that's part of the thing that you know England managers get criticised picking players based on reputation, and I think that is the only reason really that Alexander Arnold would have a claim this season. But um, mm. no, I, I would expect him to be in there personally. Yeah. And then midfield? Um, I'd like to say, I do quite like Calvin Phillips. I think he just, I, don't know, I think he's just kind of, kind of rough around the edges. I just, there's something about him that I quite like playing for England. Mm. Um, I think Henderson's got to be if he's fit, um, just for the, 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 the calm head on his shoulders. And then I'd like to see Grealish, definitely. I think it'll be my midfield three. Mm. Um, up front, yeah. I don't know, you're looking at, I don't know, it's got to be Kane and Sterling probably, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'd be tempted perhaps to, I'd probably do the same as you. I mean, I'd like to see England play with a back four just because I think then it frees up an extra position for one of those, you know, got so many of those attacking players, whether it happens or not, I don't know. I think maybe that's why when, if you have Kyle Walker starting, whether you're a four or a back three, I think when you are when you are a back four, maybe Kyle Walker in that back line is more secure perhaps than you know, a, a more sort of traditional wing back if if it's Reese James or um Kieran Chipria, for example, who also I think did he did he no he didn't start. I think he came on against Albania or San Marino as well. And yeah, then I'd probably go Henderson if he's fit, probably alongside Rice as opposed to Phillips, just because I haven't seen loads of Phillips, but maybe that wouldn't be the case. And then I just don't think I think if Grealish is going to start, which I think he should, I think the only way Southgate would start him is probably on one of the wings, as he did with Foden. I don't think he'd play him in that in that midfield role. I think Grealish is more of a forward for him, so I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Mason Mount in there as well, starting. Mason Mount. Yeah, I, I just don't think you can look past him. He's sort of he's played so many games for England. He's one of. I think everyone assumes that because you know the likes of Grealish and Madison and the rest of them are sort of midfielders by trade, they can just be part of a midfield three or two. But I think really the only one who who does that with consistency and sort of would do it for Southgate is is Mason Mount. And then I'd like to see Grealish, Sterling and Kane, I think. Um, or I think Grealish just, I don't know, maybe, maybe Grealish wouldn't start. I'm not sure because then you've obviously got Sancho and Rashford. Um, so many options, but it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, we've obviously got plenty of games to figure out. I mean, we've got, we've got Czech Republic, Croatia and Scotland. So, I mean, certainly... Opportunity for us oh, slightly. Wow. It's not the easiest group, um, but you know we've certainly got a lot of players who are of roughly similar quality. So it may just be a case of rotating the squad rather than having the same kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. We'll wait and see on that. We've managed to get twenty-five minutes out of the international break, which I think is pretty well going. Um, so we'll whack in a little break here, and then we'll talk Premier League, which is kind of our more our more familiar territory. Perhaps a bottle of rosé instead. 
Get a table near the street In our old familiar place You and I face to face It all depends upon your appetite I'll meet you anytime you want In our Italian restaurant
Pretty intense uh, fixtures coming up next weekend. Uh, this this weekend, rather, sorry, um, which we which we'll have the results for next week on the show. Uh, the first of which is one that you're invested in. Um, we're in a tough sort of you know rather a tough month for us. It's got to be said um, with Slavia Prague coming up. Um, games that you should be expected to win against Sheffield United and Fulham to try and push for the European places. Everton's a big one, but we start in at home against champions with Liverpool. Uh, obviously, both of you at the moment are on the fringes of European places. Liverpool are currently four points ahead of you, uh, but you're not going to get many better opportunities to beat them, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, I mean, it's quite difficult to say because I think, you know, Liverpool have had three weeks break by the time they come back uh, to play Arsenal. And I think I'd feel far more confident if we sort of gone into the game had they not had that break. So I'm sort of slightly anticipating Liverpool to have you know, really made the most of this of this break from the Premier League and, uh, you know, players get a break with their teams or, or a break completely just um, without any any football to be played. So I'm slightly sceptical as to what Liverpool will turn up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that it won't necessarily be the one that we've seen over the last few months to a sort of very vulnerable. Having said that, you know, it, it has just been... You can get at them defensively. I, I think maybe they'll get better in an attacking sense, especially with Jota back, and I'm sure they'll a rest would have benefited them. But I think just with the amount of injuries they've had and personnel sort of changes, I think they're they're going to be vulnerable for the rest of the season. So 
look, I, I'm going into that game thinking it's a sort of really important game to to get a point at least. I really wouldn't want to lose that game. That would sort of be quite quite a devastating blow just for, I don't know, you know, the season that Liverpool are having and, and the opportunity we have maybe to, to beat them, but then to also, you know, pick up some points and try and move up the table. But I can't tell you sort of... Uh, with confidence that I'm, 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 yeah, um, expecting three points. I suppose. I mean, it's kind of a uh, two two teams that aren't really renowned for the defence, especially this season. I mean, Liverpool under normal circumstances probably would be, but it's you know it's no secret the number of defensive partnerships we've had this season. Arsenal as well. It's not never really been your strong point defending. I think it's fair to say. Now, just going back recently through the fixtures between these two teams since two thousand and seven. Mm. Uh, because, you know, this is a fixture that normally treats us to a lot of goals. We've had a 6-3, a 4-2, a 4-all, which is obviously Arshavin in 2009. 5-1, 4-1, 3-3. We had a 4-3 on the opening day in 2016. We had a 4-nil, a 3-all, a 5-1 and a 5-all in the League Cup in October 2019. So it's certainly a game for the neutral and I imagine probably a game for the attackers as well. Yeah, it's... um... Yeah, it, it, normally I, I can remember sort of all of those games that, you, that you've said. I mean, the 6-3, it was a Julio Baptiste. It was in the Carabao Cup, actually, Julio Baptiste with four goals. And then obviously the Arshavin game, four goals as well. More recently, yeah, the, the League Cup was slightly crazy. Um, yeah, so I do think, I mean, there's so many memories I have of going to Anfield and or even them coming to us and Salah, Mane and Firmino just absolutely ripping us to shreds. But I think that was very much towards the end of uh, end of the Wenger era and sort of throughout Emery's time. I, I think the meetings that we've had with Liverpool since Arteta was appointed, um, I think we I think we lost three one earlier in the season, but that was quite a quite a close game. I mean, obviously Liverpool is going to win it. We beat them in the Carabao Cup at Wembley, albeit on penalties, I think, and. Then we beat them last year at home again, sort of shouldn't have won it. So I think that they're, they're a bit tighter now than maybe they were in the past, but I wouldn't be surprised to see plenty of goals because they're leaky. We, we can be leaky as well. So you're right to sort of point those things out, I think. What's kind of Arsenal's injury status? Can you give us a bit of an injury update? Kind of like, yeah. is every, should it be a full strength squad, do you think, come Sunday? Um, I think the only doubt at the moment is, is Bakaya Saka because he obviously didn't join up with the England squad. I'm sort of hoping that was more just a, a smart decision from both parties coming together, being like, look, this guy's 19 years old. He's played way too much football. If you want him fit and firing for the Euros in the summer, I think this rest would really benefit him because he did, he missed uh, he missed the game and then he came back for the, for the West Ham uh, game sort of a couple of weekends ago got taken off after 75 minutes and then sort of has had recurrent hamstring uh, scans and stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's sort of just being nursed back to full health. I think he probably could play, but I think he's probably in the red zone. Um, But I think he's the only one. I mean, touch wood, because obviously there's another round of international fixtures before we get there. And and Kieran Tierney would have played, you know, almost 300 minutes. the good thing is, I think the African players are back. So Pierre-Emerick and Bamiang only had one game uh, for Gabon, as did Thomas Partey, I think. Um, and then quite a few of our players just aren't <laughs> with their international team. So they've just had a nice bit of rest and training at, 
uh, uh, London Colney. But yeah, I think the only doubt at the moment is Bakayo Saka. So sort of in good shape, I suppose. Now, it's been uh, obviously quite a slow week for, for football, really. But something I did see today is it was to do with Odegaard, who has been a, a bit of a revelation since joining on loan from Real Madrid. Um, and it's come out that, you know, obviously Arsenal have got intentions of keeping him permanently. Uh, but Chelsea and Liverpool are amongst some other teams who are in to, are in the market to try and steal him from under your noses. I mean, what what do you, what do you think about that? Would you have any confidence in uh, keeping hold of him? Uh, yeah, I mean, like you, just to clarify to our listeners, you know, that was I'm not surprised. Maybe if those links come from somewhere, uh, you know, credi- credible, but it was very much a sort of. A, I think it was a, a Spanish publication, AS. I saw it on the BBC gossip column like you. Um, apparently, Arsenal sort of intend to keep him. I'm not surprised. I think he he has also expressed maybe interest in staying. I think a lot of it depends on Real Madrid and sort of what Zidane wants to do with him because he's sort of shown so far that he's not that interested. Whether, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if they can get more money um, elsewhere. I do... I think, look, it's, it's sort of a good thing, I guess, in a way that he's he's garnering interest from elsewhere. Am I worried that he'd go to Liverpool or Chelsea, for example? It would be slightly heartbreaking because he's done really well since he came to us. But I do think that has also pro- hopefully made him feel like this is a side that I feel settled in and sort of can establish myself without sort of having to go to Chelsea, for example, and, and ad- adjust to you know, Thomas Tuchel and and the rotation and go to Liverpool who are sort of in a state of flux. I think even if Arsenal are sort of for all their failings and uh, instability of late, I think under Arteta, I think if you're Martin Odegaard and you come in and you start playing well and he's really become a leader in the team, I don't think you're going to necessarily chuck that opportunity away because, you know, he's now captain of the Norwegian national team. He's obviously 22. He's made a great impression so far. So I think you know, we are in a strong position to, to try and keep him. But I think at the end of the day, obviously it's a combination of what Real Madrid are willing to do and the players' um, state of mind. But I, I'm, I'm sort of hoping that that Chelsea and Liverpool uh, rumour has sort of maybe been drummed up by someone related to Real Madrid, maybe, so that maybe they're going to drive up the price or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, slightly worrying to see some, something like that because that would just be really sad to watch as an Arsenal fan. Yeah, I mean, it's, as you say, you busted me on where I got that information from. Um, <laughs> but there's nothing like a little bit of speculation, is there? So it's always worth a bit of a chat. Um, now, there is one more game coming up at the weekend um, that is probably probably the other tasty game if you're in neutral. It's uh, offered up a few decent fixtures in the past, and that is Leicester against Man City. Uh, obviously, Leicester went to the Etihad and won, I think it was 3-1 in their title-winning season. And they went there as well earlier this season and won 5-3, which was, what was a, a belter of a game. Um, so it's obviously now come come this Sunday, it'll be third against first. Um, and, you know, seen as Leicester have caused City problems in the past, do you think, you know, bearing in mind kind of the, their current trajectories, can you see a similar thing happening again? Um, yeah, I could definitely see Leicester giving them some problems. I think they've... They had a tough period, obviously, sort of dealing with the loss of uh, Harvey Barnes and James Madison. But I think it took a while to sort of integrate Kelechi and Acho and Vardy together. But I think now they've done that. And it would be great to sort of see Ian Acho sort of cause City problems because obviously, you know, he sold to Leicester 
from City a couple of years ago now. I still think City will have far too much for them. I mean, I've been seeing highlights of, of Kevin De Bruyne sort of playing for Belgium and even in the last couple of games for City and he looks like he has really sort of saved the best of his form till last. Um, obviously, he came back from injury, but he's looking seriously sort of dangerous and hungry and scored some absolute crackers. So I think Manchester City will will deal with what Leicester have uh, to offer them and I can't really see Leicester sort of coming away with a win. Um, I'd be I'd be surprised, but you know Leicester are sort of team everyone sort of writes off. I think, yeah, I I am not going to go with the underdog in this one though. If I'm predicting, doing the uh, might as well do kind of the classic media trick. Um, you know, trying to draw up excitement where there may not necessarily be any. Uh, but do you wonder if there's a chance City may have lost some momentum? After the international break, do you think it may, if it's going to affect anyone negatively, do you think it may be them? Or do you think they'll just you know, just plough on as normal? I mean, you know, that's kind of with a view to perhaps perhaps making it some kind of a title fight, you know, in six or seven games time, potentially. But, you know, that's, it's not particularly likely, is it? Yeah, I do think they, they probably would have preferred not to have had a uh, an international break, just because, as you say, they've been so consistent uh, over the last couple of months. I'm just going to look up sort of I mean, yeah, obviously they beat Everton, they beat Mush and Gladbach, they beat Fulham, beat Southampton. I mean, to be fair, you sort of say after the, the Manchester United game, you're like, well, maybe, you know, this is, a, this is a moment in the season where perhaps the season could derail somewhat or, you know, they, they'd give a bit more room for Manchester United to catch up with them. But I think, you know, they came back so emphatically with four wins, scoring, you know, four, seven, 12 goals in four games. I think that momentum will probably carry over um, through the international break. But I'm sure Pep Guardiola sort of probably, if he had a choice, which he doesn't, he would have preferred to not have had that because you do run the risk of injuries or, you know, having to then restart again. And Leicester can definitely be a side who will start off quickly. I think, you know, a lot of their players probably haven't been, uh, or less of their players have been on international duty maybe than Manchester City's. So I think they'll be ready for a quick start. Um, but I think just City have too much quality that that they'll they'll be able to handle it. I would. It may just be a, a suitable point here um, to interject on just on the subjects of City and kind of the you know the the fact they do win pretty much every week, apart from that one week against United, which they lost. It does now mean um, I'm pleased to report that Bolton Wanderers have the longest unbeaten streak of any side in English professional I football. I saw that actually. <laughs> Thirteen matches, one eleven drawn, two. Uh, climbing up the league two table. Um, if there's any side who could beat City at the moment, I fancy it being Bolton. But um, we're unlikely to see that uh, kind of materialise as a fixture, as nice as it would be. Um, so, yeah, just a little shout out for my local team there. 13 games unbeaten, <laughs> stretching back to God, January. It must be January now. So, uh, we have got that. And on that note, I think that brings to an end our kind of our football chat of the week. Now, there was one more sporting event this week. Uh, that we'll try and just have a little word on. And that was the rematch of Povetkin versus White on Saturday evening. Uh, now, boxing is far from my strong point, although you know I, I do attempt to have a conversation about it occasionally. Um, I just wonder if you had any remarks on that. Yeah, again, it's like that is a fight ordinarily that I'd, I'd probably like to watch. And some of my friends who do follow boxing a bit more religiously than I do would have encouraged me to watch that. Um, but... 
I mean, yeah, I was otherwise occupied. So, you know, it, um, I heard it was, a. Uh, you know, there were obviously the stakes were high having, I think, Povetkin beat Dylan White, the, the reverse fight. And so I think it was, a, it was a big win for Dylan White. I mean, I sort of view these two as sort of, um, you know, the, you've got the top tier of, of Joshua and Wilder and Fury, for example. And then you've got the tier below who are like Dylan White and, and Povetkin who sort of get a chance at the to win the titles and uh, the belt, sorry. And they don't quite have enough, but they sort of, you know, I'm sure there will, there will be a, a benefit for White winning this fight in terms of who he's allowed to fight in future and, and stuff like that. But yeah, great to see. I think I'd, I I would have preferred Dylan White to to beat Povetkin, Um, obviously, is he English? Dylan White, I think so. Uh, I I don't follow boxing closely. <laughs> but he's got an English sounding name, wasn't he? It's Post Povetkin. He quite clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's so, British. Um, he's British. Yeah. Well, so there we go. That's another break. Oh, there's a lot of Brits at the top of boxing, aren't there? To be fair, at the moment, Patriot, patriotism and, and all that. Yeah, there's still musings about uh, Joshua against Fury. I mean, that could be as controversial and divisive as Brexit potentially. Well, we'll wait and see on that one. Um, hopefully, I think they're still talking. There are two fights later this year between them two, so we'll wait and see on that one. Um, I think that brings to the end and end uh, our show for this week. We didn't have quite as much to go over um, because there's only so much you can say about England against San Marino, but. Uh, it's been a good chat as always. Uh, we'll wrap it up for this week. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks Alfie for joining me as usual. I will see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thunder in the sky and a killer's on the bloodshot streets. Oh, 
born down in the tunnel with a deadly horizon. No, I swear I saw a young boy down in the cover. He was stopping the foam in the heat. Oh, baby, you're the only thing in this whole world that's good and good and right. And wherever you are and wherever you go, there's always going to be some light. But I gotta get out, I gotta break it out now before the final cut goes down. So we gotta make the most of our one night together when it's over, you know, we'll both be so alone.
when I'm down at the bottom of the grave in the blazing sun. Torn and twisted at the foot of a burning fire. And I think somebody somewhere must be torn in a bell. And the last thing I see is my heart still beating. I'm breaking out of my body and flying away like a bat out of hell. And I'm dying at the bottom of a pit in a blazing sun. I'm torn and twisted at the foot of a burning light. And I think somebody somewhere must be told in the bed. Got me chasing dreams I'm an educated fool with money on my mind Got my tin in my hand and a gleam in my eye I'm a loped out gangster, set tripping banker And my homies is down so don't arouse my anger Fool, death ain't nothing but a heartbeat away I'm living life through a dire What can I say? I'm 23 now but will I live to see 24 The way things is going I don't know Oh, 
minute after minute, hour after hour, everybody's running, but half of them ain't looking, it's going on in the kitchen, but I don't know what's cooking, they say I got to learn, but nobody's here to teach me, if they can't understand it, how can they reach me, I guess they can't, I guess they won't, I guess they front, that's why I know my life is out of luck, fool, just bring me more 